This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's an all-pet day on Creature Comforts today. The doors to our pet hospital are wide open. We welcome all your pet questions from the big to the small. Spring's in full swing and maybe allergies are affecting your pets. Or you just have a question that can't wait till your next veterinary visit. So don't hesitate to join the conversation by phone or email. Also, if you have a general wildlife experience, we always like to hear those, so call in and share. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And we always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Good morning, Dr. Major. Good morning. Um, Libby, let's uh, start out with you. We always like to hear what you've been seeing uh, around your yard lately. Oh, let's see. Still a lot going on. Springtime in Mississippi is... Very birdy and very buggy, and <laughs> the snakes are starting to come out, which is always fun to me, too. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the uh, cedar wax wings. I know uh, they're here all winter, so it's this is not something that's just coming in in the spring, and I guess they kind of drift further north as they go, And uh, but they're raiding my mulberry tree right now and so the gang comes I, I i think it's uncommon to find one or two uh cedar wax wings they they come in a big flock so they just envelop the mulberry tree for you know maybe half an hour every morning it's their breakfast hour coincides <laughs> with our breakfast hour on the porch so a breakfast half hour i guess as it was today but uh Anyway, they uh, gobble up everything they can, and people just kind of move out of the way, you know, any other bird that's in the area. And I thought that might be a good bird for people to start watching for anywhere that there's a source of fruit. We've talked about them through the winter, too. I see them in the winter, but not like I see them every morning when my mulberries are blooming. And that reminds me to put in a plug for our native plants. If you want lots of wildlife in your yard, the best way to do that is to to put in native plants and mulberry trees I think are fantastic some people kind of give them a bad rap and you don't want to park your car under a mulberry (laughs) tree anytime this time of year but uh, I think they're wonderful we had a a mulberry tree that uh, attracted birds for years and years it was there when we moved on the property and it was destroyed in a fire so we've worked hard to raise more mulberries and now we've got two that are bearing fruit and they're big enough to really attract a lot of birds so i would say mulberry trees or anything else that's native uh that'll attract your native animals is the way to go and let's see let me let me jump in uh, here for a minute yes i'm always fascinated by the names of birds oh yes so wax wings, how, how do we come up with that? That's a great question because really I didn't tell you how to find them. Uh, they look like a little gray bird. 
They are a little gray bird. It's got a tiny bit of a top knot on there that can lay down more than a cardinal, so you don't always notice that. But what you notice is they have a few spaced around their body, bright spots of color, like a band along that gray tail that is as bright yellow as... um as that speaker cover right there, but bright yellow. And it, it looks like wax has been applied or something because it's, it's, it, it looks like it has texture. When you really see one, it doesn't, but it's such a bright color that it looks like it has texture. And then there's a little bit of that of on the wing, and this time it's a red spot, and it doesn't take much red for you to really wow, there's a red spot there, you know. So uh, while the bird is overwhelmingly soft gray, he's got just these pops of color that make him really exciting to watch. And I say him, the uh, males and females look pretty much alike. In fact, I guess completely alike. So uh, for, for anybody that's just watching them, so the whole gang will look the same. You don't have to learn two birds to learn if you've got a um, cedar wax wing or not. And then the the noise that they'll make is a very high pitched, almost kind of a mechanical, electrical kind of sound. Mm. So it is sort of a cloud of sound moves in with them. And uh, uh, if you have hearing loss, some people in those hearing loss in those higher registers, it's hard to hear because it's high-pitched and kind of a wispy, soft, not what you might expect to hear if you saw the bird. You're not going to get a song out of that bird. You're going to get that wispy kind of call. Okay. And then uh, we've got a new salamander in the state, a new species that's just been described, the Pascagoula dusky salamander. And it's a, a little guy with those kind of little yellow spots along the side like many salamanders have. Uh, but this one's different from all the others. After several years of study, it's been determined that um, they're their own species. So they're, right now we know of six populations, three in Alabama and three in Mississippi. And the three in Mississippi are down Jackson, Green, Perry counties, you know, along the lower Pascagoula River. And um, so they may not be as rare as they look right now, but they'll, you know, there'll be more study and we'll probably hear more about them. And we may try to do a show about them in the coming months. But the Pascagoula dusky salamander, and it's just kind of fun in science when we get a new species because it doesn't happen too very often. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Dr. Major, here's something in the news. On March 16th, a dog named Toby Keith was named the world's oldest living dog by the Guinness World Records with an age of 21 years. Adopted by Florida resident Gisela Shore as a puppy, the Chihuahua celebrated a, a bit with a carrot muffin and a car ride. Although recently diagnosed with heart disease, his owner attributes quality vet care, a healthy diet, exercise, and plenty of love for Toby Keith's advanced age. So, Dr. Major, would you agree those are factors for uh, having our pets live a long, healthy life? Yes, certainly. And, you know, we see a lot of older dogs and cats now, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were some some dogs that were actually older than that. Uh, and sometimes it's difficult, especially if you have an adopted dog, to know exactly how old, you know, how old it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, all of those things that you mentioned enter into longevity, and quite frankly, it's genetic. And usually, the older dogs are 
smaller dogs like Chihuahuas, mixed breed, uh, red terriers, best sized dogs. But we see a lot of dogs and cats that are in the what eighteen to twenty, twenty one years of age. So I would suspect that there are dogs that actually are can be documented there that old or older. Living a uh, couple of things about the Cedar Waxwing. I remember one uh, spring that they descended on a apple tree plumes, and they had the whole tree shaking. And they, I guess, they were taking the nectar or the uh, little pods out of the uh, apple tree. I thought that was quite unusual. You know, I'm glad you brought that up too about that it was the blossoms they were attracted to. because I've read a little bit lately, you know, petals of of many blossoms are pretty fleshy in that um, that's good food for a lot of birds. So they were probably just eating that whole blossom. How I got onto it is I noticed how many um, birds were attracted to our tulip poplar. And, you know, that's a real fleshy petal. Yeah. So it that's is. good to know that, that apples will, will attract them too. And another question, of course, you know, I'm always interested in tortoises and turtles. Uh, we've got some yard tortoises. Uh, I guess you call them yard tortoises. They show up every every spring, looking for a place to possibly lay eggs. Uh, they you don't see them a whole lot uh, during the other times of the year. And of course, it's getting quite warm now, and they're probably seeking shade. But uh, I noticed also be careful on the roads. Don't run over the tortoises or turtles that you see. Uh, moving across the roads uh, at this time of year. Yeah, that's definitely, we all have to watch out for them. And if you've got fences, you might kind of patrol and be sure they're not snagged up in a fence. And, and I think one of the other tips that we've given out, if I remember, is if they're if you're trying to move them out of a road and they're moving in one direction, don't move them back in the other direction because they're going in that other way. So to help them out, uh, push them out of the road, but moving in that same direction where they originally uh, were headed, and that will be a help. <clears throat> so, Doctor Major, your, go ahead. These little tortoises seem to show up just about the same time every year. We've got two or three in our yard, and I'm sure other people uh, do as well. And, you know, if, if you're in central Mississippi, I was recently at um, some friend's house, and they had gopher, gopher tortoise burrows. We found three burrows, one that was we could tell was very active and one where they've seen their tortoises coming and going. So in um, parts of the state where you've got that sandy soil, particularly where there were longleaf pine, you might even have the great big gopher tortoises. And talk about long-lived. Now, they'll, you know, they're, it's, it's not uncommon at all to find a 30-, 40-, 50-year-old gopher tortoise. How The box turtles, you know, I've read about that, and I should know, but I think they can hit 20 years easy, can't they, Troy? They can. In fact, there's been some documented cases, I think, uh, how they know maybe somebody carved initials or painted uh, mm-hmm. them. They say these can live in the 20 to 50 year range and of course again documentation is hard to do this is creature comforts time for our first break of the hour when we get back we will be looking for your pet questions for dr major got a couple of emails to share as well libby's here she always likes to hear about your recent brushes with nature so call in with questions and comments the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. 
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. Today we're looking for your pet questions and talking about other brushes with nature that our callers have. If you want to join the conversation with your question or comment, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We've got a caller on the line we'll get to in just a minute. But, Dr. Major, I did want one follow-up. Before the break, we talked about uh, the Chihuahua Toby Keith, who lived to be 21 years old and uh, is described by the Guinness World Records as the oldest living dog. And you mentioned that uh, our pets are living longer. So as pet owners, as our pets get older, what, uh, what sort of things do we need to keep in mind to make sure they stay healthy? Yeah, it's a great, a great question. And uh, one of the things would be regular uh, veterinary checkups. Uh, a lot of the dogs do, dogs and cats do quite well in those teen years, I guess you would say. Uh, proper diet is important. Uh, a lot of the things that happen to cats and dogs as they get older, the same thing happen to people. You get into kidney failure or kidney issues. Uh, some other things, uh, diabetes, uh, certainly could be an issue. Uh, so routine veterinary care is important, uh, diet and addressing problems as they occur. Uh, we see a lot of, uh, cancer type situations, uh, usually, uh, things that can be, if addressed early enough, can, can actually help. So I'm saying that those are all things. Good diet is real important. Uh, dental work, making sure the teeth are uh, kept free of infection. Uh, those are all things that enter into trying to maintain and help to have the pets as healthy and as long-lived as possible. All right, very good. And, you know, the, the one thing there that I thought is interesting, you said uh, sort of Maybe with an older pet, uh, a visit to the vet would be quicker than maybe a, a pet that's not as old. In other words, try, as you said, try to catch things a little bit earlier as they get older. And you would try to establish some baseline blood work so you could periodically monitor and see uh, if there's any changes. Same thing that they do with people. Uh, monitoring kidneys, liver, uh, uh, hematocrit. Uh, in other words, the red blood cell level. And uh, these are all things that you can look at then and say, well, two years ago we were here, and now there's an indication that we may have uh, a, a kidney problem, for example. All right, very good. We've got uh, Christopher on the line from Biloxi. Good morning, Christopher. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, box turtles, the uh we have one at our home in Biloxi. How smart these animals! That every year, it's a, it's obviously an older turtle, and every year this turtle will show up, and uh, several times a week, the turtle will uh, go around to where the 
handicapped access is on the deck and come winding up that and come around to the kitchen door and we'll actually kind of scratch at the door and look in the window until you go out and give it a piece of cantaloupe or watermelon or whatever kind of treat you have that day. And then the turtle will go back down. It's it's not an easy path to make. It'll go back into the yard and do whatever it does, and it shows up every year. (laughs) He knows where to get a a nice treat there, I think, Christopher. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was just going to say, they they don't live 21 years without (laughs) without learning what's going on. You know, change is what really can confuse them and I guess can be deadly. I've noticed if you build a new garage, a new shed, anything like that, they're going to go where they went last year to find a mate. So they're crawling through that same area and there's a garage. That can really throw them for a loop because they'll try you know, sometimes they can finally dig under, which doesn't make people happy necessarily. But uh, be mindful of that. Maybe when if you if you've got a lot of box turtles around, or you're used to seeing them, or even if it's a slider or something that's going to a pond close by, they can get trapped up in the corner somewhere and kind of waste valuable time when they need to be going on about their business. So you might have to move them a couple of three years before they get used to a change. Right, it's also a good idea to look under your under your tires before you leave in the morning. They like to uh, they like to sometimes get under your car for the shade. I guess if you if you park in a sunny area, so it's a good idea to, to look at that before you pull out. Thank right. you. That's a good idea. Yeah. Thanks, Christopher, for kicking us off this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's an all-pet day, and we've got some open lines for you for your pet questions and observations about uh, some of the things you've been seeing when you've been out about in nature. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Here's an, uh, an email we got from a listener in northwest Mississippi. It says, uh, could you give me some hints on attracting bluebirds to my yard? Also, if a bluebird pair visits a bluebird house occasionally, are they just looking? Uh, they haven't seemed to build a nest. Do bluebirds ever fledge too early? How do parents take care of them when they fly off in different directions? So a lot of questions there. Libby, let's start out. What would be some hints on attracting bluebirds? Okay, attracting bluebirds, they like an open area, like an edge of a field, the edge of a park. Uh, So if you've got a real closed-in environment, you're probably not going to have bluebirds nesting there. They they like to swoop and, you know, have a clear sweep when they're chasing an insect because they're overwhelmingly insect eaters. So you've got to think about that. They're going to use your box if it's close to a place that they can hunt for food. And um, maybe even if you're living on a, a road, I don't know if a busy street would work, but if you're living on a road put uh, your box close to that road because then they've got that open trail kind of to go down to hunt for insects. And the thing about fledging, you know, birds are pretty methodical about how they do things if you're looking at the calendar, but weather 
is not as methodical. And if a, a, a late storm can catch birds unaware and be a real problem for baby birds that are trying to fledge, because if it's time, it's kind of like a birth. If it's time, it's coming. <laughs> and if they, they've been in that box for the, the four weeks or the five weeks, whatever, you can look that up pretty easily. They've got good numbers for most species of how long it takes for them to be ready to fledge. And if they're if, if it's time for them to go, they're going. And um, uh, if that happens to be right when there's a very bad storm, parents might be able to delay it a little bit in the nest, but they're not going to be able to do very much if you've got several days of bad storms. So that's a real problem, a deadly problem for baby birds. And, yes, that's – I have read at times that when they're in the box or in the – I think of them in the box because that's the one I watch, but in a nest and just right – fledging and right after they fledge is that's the time when the most mortality occurs which is kind of heartbreaking for people that have been watching a nest of birds but um what you can do as a homeowner is be careful with cars but above all your pets cats especially this is when outdoor cats are really so destructive to to bird populations it's because those little birds are learning to fly they're going to get real low to the ground often they can't fly right at first and they get on the ground their parents go down on the ground to try to coax them up and there's a lot of vocalization going on which attracts the cat and then um it's it's an easy meal so and and sometimes dogs will grab one and want to play with it. You know, a dog might not necessarily want to eat that baby bird, but some dogs will. And um, if they don't want to eat it, there it's something that attracts them to play and catch. So keep your dogs away when they're fledging, and particularly cats. Um, so will b- bluebirds occasionally check out a house, visit, and then not stay? Yes, yes, they shop, and, and you know and. Basically, I know I've said on the radio here, birds, houses for birds are not where they live, it's where they nest. But with bluebirds, that's not always true. If they've got a good nest box that they like, they'll go there, because they're a year-round resident, they'll go in that box if there's a bad storm in the winter, you know, if it's cold. So they, they do use that more as a home than most birds. And I've not studied that enough to know what other birds do, but a, a bluebird will use it. And so they're pretty careful about where they where they live, what they pick, and uh, they're good at it, and that's why there's plenty of bluebirds because the, you know they're, the life of their babies depends on them picking the right nest. So if there was something not right about that house, and it, the bad thing is it's kind of a seasonal. Like if if I've got one nest box out and I notice that there are two pairs looking, I better get that other one out fast because they're going to go somewhere else and find another one. But um, if something's just a little off, and you might try the there there are guidelines online and in books for how high to make the nest, which ways the nest should face, the nest box should face, and um, what materials, that kind of thing. All right, uh, back to the phone lines we go. Kathleen is on the line from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Uh, good morning. You'll have to forgive my little uh, muffled sound. I uh, I got allergies, not COVID. <laughs> but uh, I uh, I thought this was so unusual. I didn't put two and two together at first. Uh, you watch cats, and if you have multiple cats, they do some crazy things you wouldn't expect. 
BB on his own has decided when I go downstairs, he goes to halfway between the top floor and the landing. And he waits for me to get close, and then he goes down to the landing. And when I hit the landing, he sits at the foot of the stairs looking at me. And I said, well, well, thank you, you know, but uh, I didn't realize he was doing it on purpose, and he was doing it all the time now. And I said, that's my little uh, panic alarm when I don't see BB on the steps. But uh, your pets deserve so much credit that we don't give them because, oh, that stupid cat or that stupid dog. Sometimes they're not so stupid because he now waits for when I get in the bed, stands at the foot of the bed, waits till I get comfortable, and crawls up the length of me and sleeps right under my right arm. So they have their reasons to do what they do. Uh, I just like to think he's looking after me. <laughs> but I can do that. I'm 71. If it's eccentric, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Kathleen, always good to hear from you. My, my cat uh, does that, but he's waiting for me to come down into the kitchen and, and get his food. In the morning especially, uh, he'll sit there, and as I get up and walk, he'll run ahead, uh, but he doesn't get too far ahead of me. Uh, he wants to make sure that we're both going you know, to the kitchen so that he can get his morning breakfast. So that's... Uh, but you're right. It's, I think uh, sometimes we think about our cats being uh, pets being, you know, the, why, why they do that dumb thing? But you're right. When, when you think about it, uh, they are pretty smart because most of our pets have us trained to do exactly what they need us to do. So, Kathleen, thanks for, for the call. Go ahead, Dr. Major. One of the things you got to think about, and at least I think about, is that our animals really are very smart. It's our inability to understand what they want. And our unwillingness a lot of times to work with them, and they are quite trainable as they train us. So it's a two-way street. And uh, I, I would always say with cats, as you get older, be careful. They can trip you up because they love you. And it's not on purpose necessarily, but they can be there, and you can have an issue uh, walking Yep, they do like to get under your feet, that's for sure. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines next. We're off to Mobile. Mikey is on the line. Good morning, Mikey. <laughs> I got to laugh. Um, Dr. Troy is so right, man. Um, those of us who are have self-labeled <laughs> us as homo sapiens, right, meaning, you know, knowing ourselves, yeah. <laughs> uh, not the AI-Yukon, um, <laughs> we are... We just a damn. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. We're just so darn dumb, you know. Sometimes when the animals are trying to give us the cues, and they're going, "What is it you're not getting?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my question is, um, I have a a fellow neighbor who is a wonderful person. We have become really good friends through our interest and love of gardening. She has a backyard that has been primarily, um, she's trying to fill it in with, you know, and trying to make the right decisions about gardening. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's a, a little over an acre. Um, uh, and uh, the bluebird boxes, would they be perfect for her yard? There are trees in all the surrounding areas. Um, and... Uh, the insect control thing from the bluebirds would sound real good for all of us, right? 
Yes, that's true. Yeah. And um, I guess walking around the yard kind of, you know, and I don't know of a formula, but if she walks around and kind of looks up and she can see plenty of blue sky, if she's not closed up with canopy, right. I, it would be worth a try to try a blue bo- bluebird box, uh, particularly if she's seen them in the area at all. I, I have seen them in the area. She's, she's uh, uh, you know, doing yeah. a 40-time work thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have seen something that looks like I believe to be bluebirds. So is this a good advice? To, I mean, definitely. Not, you know, yeah. not you know, uninvited. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I, yeah. With what, each other. <laughs> yeah, what I'll tell anybody when you... If you buy that regulation bluebird box, that's going to work for any other bird. And don't be disappointed if it's not a bluebird. Just, you know, take what you get. But put out one of the bluebird boxes. And if it's a regulation bluebird box, a lot of other things will like it, too. Tufted titmouse, chickadee, things like that would like it. All right, Mikey, always good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. It's time for another break. When we get back, we will continue looking for pet questions for Dr. Troy Major. We've got Johnny and Pamela on the line, and we'll get to those questions uh, after this break. We also have some emails as well. Call in with your questions and comments this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. It's all pet day today, so we're looking for your pet questions. To join our conversation, give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go back to the phone lines. We'll start with Johnny, who's called in this morning. Johnny, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Yeah, I've got a question for Libby. Okay. I live in Olive Branch, which is so far north, you're almost in Tennessee. Last Saturday, I looked out on my patio, and there was a bird, almost an indigo blue, with a black on his top of his head. Never seen this bird before. Went to get my camera, he was gone. Hmm. I don't know, maybe she, some people say birds migrate. I didn't know if she could maybe give me an idea of what I might have found. All right. Um Indigo bunting or a blue grosbeak. Look those two up. And um, the black head things, what I'm guessing is that they both have a lot of iridescence. And um, the um, particularly indigo bunting, the head can be kind of purpley, but in the right light, it can look very black. Any parts of it can kind of look black because of, you know, how the, the blue and purples blend with the light. So look that up and um, pay attention to the little beak. Because yeah, I mean, he was beautiful. It, he was so blue, he almost looked fake. 
Yes. Hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm betting it's an indigo bunting, or it could be a blue grosbeak because they're pretty brilliant, too. They're, they're almost the same thing in one size up, and they've got a proportionally their, their beak is gross. It's big, you know, not ugly, but big. And um, it, the beak, again, it, it has to do with the light reflection, but a lot of times the beak will look light gray, lighter than the body. All right, Johnny, thanks for your call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Off to Pass Christiane we go. Pamela has called in today. Good morning, Pamela. Oh, good morning, y'all. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I have two questions. One's pretty quick. Uh, is there a height you can have your fence above the ground to allow turtles and tortoise to pass under? Is there something that'll work? I've not read about that, but that's... Um it would certainly be worth you might google that and just see what what's recommended but if you're if you're in a rural situation and you want to put up a fence and you know it depends on what you want to keep out if you're trying to keep rabbits out of the garden that's not going to work but if it's if it's um you know for bigger animals or even for a large dog that might work that would be that's that's a interesting thing to experiment with well, I'm I'm in town, so there are lots of fences, and I worry about turtles being, I mean, tortoise being mm-hmm. trapped. Yes, so. yeah. It, unless you get more than you know, unless it's more than just you doing, is what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. So many neighborhoods, every you know, every yard has got a fence now. I know, mm-hmm. growing up as a kid, um, sometimes we lived in r- real rural environments, and sometimes we lived in town. And but our neighborhoods didn't tend to have all the many fences, and box turtles could come you know wander through the neighborhood but now everybody's got a backyard fence at least Mm -hmm. and if maybe two or three landowners together agreed that if you were seeing box turtles you could give them safe passage oh that might not happen but it's a it's a dream okay (laughs) yeah that's it's a great idea (laughs) well my second question is that question sounded pretty sane, right? Because I'm a, I don't want you to think I'm crazy <laughs> But uh, on this next one. It was almost 30 years ago. I was driving Beatline uh, Drive in, in Long Beach, past Christian area. Up, I was going south from 28th Street. There was no traffic, no other cars coming toward me except a Coca-Cola delivery truck. You know how huge they are. And all of a sudden, he stopped, and there was nothing. I couldn't see anything. And then I saw what he was looking at. What it crossed, it was crossing the road in front of him, and then I saw it cross on the other side of the road. It was a tortoise, turtle-like animal. Beatline Road was a little more narrow than it is now, about 30 years ago, but it was still a basic road. This turtle stretch nearly the width with its feet extended it was like really it was really in a hurry it was was like going as fast as it could and all its feet were in head were extended but it stretched nearly across the road i and i uh, it was very dark i would say it appeared black but i'm not sure it was black it was very dark and then it was gone into the bushes well, our our largest turtle in the state, that's not a not a sea turtle, but a, a land turtle, would be a, a gopher tortoise, and they can get pretty big. So you might look that up if he was moving fast and uh, a big one. I guess it could have uh, appeared that way. The other option would be that it was some kind of a mammal, like 
No, no. no. I, so I you were sure it was a tortoise, I then pretty, I would I guess, pretty, yeah. Yeah, read about gopher tortoises, and they can get pretty big. Lily, if, uh-huh. if it was that big, what about an alligator snapper? Oh, you're right. If he was, yep, I didn't even think about, as I said, yeah, sea turtle, but yes, it could be an alligator snapper, and they are they get very big. Thank you, Troy. Yeah, and the males stay put. The big ones are, are, are male in, in uh, that species, but um, they migrate when they're looking for a mate. Well, I don't know if you'd even call it migrate, but they wander when they're looking for a mate. And uh, that's the one time of year that they would do that. And um, in the spring or early summer, so I, that is possible. That would, that is, that is our biggest turtle that would be walking. And he's usually in the water, but every now and then he comes out. Yep. Okay. Yeah. For you on that turtle, was it? Could you see air under it? Was it standing low, up? Very, very low, very low to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that could be, because a gopher tortoise just kind of picks himself up, walks on his feet. All right, uh, Pamela, thanks for the call. You might yeah, might maybe Google the uh, alligator uh, snapping turtle and see if it the, resembled something that, that you uh, thought you saw that day. Thanks for the call. We will stay on the phone lines. Next, we are off to, looks like, Daphne, Alabama. Patricia has called in today. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, go ahead. Um, I'll, I'll have a question about dogs today. Um, I just dropped my little dog off to have her first dental cleaning, and I was wondering what questions to ask whenever I pick her up. Great. How, how, old, how old is she? Um, she just turned three. Basically, the thing that I would ask for is one, uh, the general health of the teeth. They should be in good shape. Uh what breed is she? What she's a mal- she's a ma- she's a multi poo, and they they tell me that her teeth are in excellent shape. They just wanted to go ahead and and you know get a jump on any problem. Right. I think that's a good idea. Routine dental care is important. Uh, just ask for what you need to do as far as maintenance and uh, the questions that you should ask. Is there any sign of infection? And are her teeth okay, which sounds like they already are, but those are questions you need to ask. And what do you need to do to help maintain the teeth and make sure that they are as healthy as long as you can? Okay. Are there are there any, um, like, special instructions for, like, post-anesthesia I mean, post, post or anything like that? Okay. Well, post-anesthesia, they should tell you, but just ask the questions, you know, when can she drink? Uh, when can she eat her next meal? Uh, that should be asked. Uh, and is the, if they did anything that could cause pain, ask does she need to have any pain medication as well? Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's good to know. I did. I did pay extra for. Um, they said that you can choose to have some anti-nausea medicine if you pay like twenty six dollars. <laughs> so I said yes. Let her let her do that. So. Um, they said sometimes that that's, that's you know good. Well, yes. Well, thank that's you. Like right questions and uh, best of luck. Hope things go well. 
Thanks, Patricia, for your call. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we will wrap up Pet Day. Dr. Major is on the line, ready for your pet questions. And we always like to hear your recent encounters with nature. So if you have one, you can call in and share that as well. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Bill's on the road. Stay on the line, Bill. We'll get to your call right after this last break on Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. To join our conversation this morning, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. And if you miss any of today's show, you can always subscribe to our podcast using any podcast app or the MPB Public Media app. So uh, we've got another caller on the line, and I told Bill that we would get to his call next. And so, Bill, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. All right, thank you. Um, I have a pet question for you. Okay. I have a I have a sixty pound poodle who is a couple of weeks away from his first birthday, and suddenly in the last few weeks he started chewing things other than his chew toys, and he's tall enough to reach on an end table and seems to have a particular affinity for reading glasses and remote controls. So I don't know what to do about this. Wow, that's a real problem. I think I heard that the biggest uh, damage to remote controls is uh, the dog tearing one up. I think that's the biggest reason for replacements. Uh, That's, you know, you've got a real problem there because is he there by himself a lot? Well, he he is, but he'll do this when, when I'm upstairs. And he's downstairs by himself. So he'll he'll do it when you're there, but not right in front of you. Uh, exactly. Removing things is always hard to do that he would get to. I have no reason to believe that he's changed that much uh, just to start doing this now. Uh, which has he had a chewing problem at all? No. He always has always has lots of chew toys, and he's always stuck to those. Yeah. Uh, glasses, certainly, uh, you could damage those quickly. Uh, I would suggest that, uh, basic, I mean, how well trained is he now? I mean, will he sit, stay, this sort of thing? He will. Yes. Short of just removing the, the temptation, I think you probably need to seek advice from an animal trainer which would help, I think, but I don't know exactly what to tell you. Some listeners may have some issues, some problems. Similar to that, he could be able to help us, but uh, that's one, removing the things that he could reach uh, is important. Uh, You could certainly, you know, if you're not there watching him all the time, 
even the shock collar type thing would not help, which I don't believe works in most cases and don't recommend. But uh, I would, where, where are you located as far as? Uh, Taylor, Mississippi. Taylor, okay. Close uh, to. Bill, is that up there, Oxford? Yes. Okay. I would seek advice there. There's somebody there that has training ability, I'm sure. And uh, I really have a difficulty in telling you exactly what to do, except remove the temptation as best you can. Well, we're, we're doing our best there, and we're just kind of hoping he would outgrow it. But it is strange that all of a sudden he started doing it, and that makes me wonder if he, have you changed anything, any, uh, you know, any of your habits yourself that might have influenced that? Uh, if he's there, when you do it, if he's doing that when you're there, offer him something else, try to distract him. But uh, I would remove things as best you can. I think it's the best idea right now. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. We right. had better advice. Good luck to you. Let us know if you can come up with an answer. All right, Bill, thanks for your call. I do will say that uh, my brother had a dog and, and did went to, I don't know if they still call it obedience school or whatever, but that, that seemed to really help him. So, Bill, maybe uh, see if there's a, a trainer nearby that could uh, kind of give him some lessons and help maybe uh, alleviate that problem because that is frustrating. Uh, to And that's an interesting factoid, but hard not hard to believe, uh, Dr. Major, that that's the, the main reason for destruction of, uh, of uh, remote controls. We've got another caller on the line. We're off to Gulfport again. Malin is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, I've got a question for you all. I know it's pet day, but I live in a neighborhood in Biloxi that is overrun with feral cats. You know, they all seem to be a dark, dirty gray and i was wondering if i'd be out of line because i'm worried about the birds frankly i love hearing and seeing the birds would i be out of line of getting animal control to bring me a have a heart trap and start trapping the damn things and get them out of the neighborhood and whatever they would do with them troy you know a lot more about that than i do we we strongly advocate uh, control of the feral cat population, uh, even if it's trapping, neutering, spaying. Uh, that in, in and of itself, people feed these feral cats, and when you feed one, you get more. And if they're not spayed and neutered, they're going to reproduce and overrun you as you spay. I would talk <coughs> to the local, uh, uh, I know you help. Uh, rescue type people there uh, people that deal with this uh, and I would suggest talking to them if you haven't already and try to work out a plan with them but yes yeah, they do. I mean, the worst thing is when they when they get the mating right outside your uh, bedroom window at night uh, it, it's terrifying sometimes <laughs> well that's, that's a great thing for a horror movie that's why I, you know, <laughs> work with stray animals and see what you can work out. 
And uh, Malin, what about the city of Gulfport and their animal control? Would they be of any help short of giving you the, the traps to, to use on your own? Well, maybe so, but uh, there again, uh, I live in Biloxi, oh. West oh. Biloxi, and uh, so I think I'd start with them. All right. Well, good luck with it. That definitely is a problem. We love our cats, but they are natural-born hunters, and those feral cats, that is a major problem with bird predation. So good luck with that, and again, let us know if you find out and get a solution to that problem. Yeah, I was just hopefully somebody can find a good home for some of those cats. All right, uh, we only have one minute left, so why don't we uh, remind you that uh, if you're ever out and about and you see something that you don't know what it is, uh, you could send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Or as Java did uh, this morning, if you hear something, like maybe some birds and you can't figure out what they are, maybe if you get a video of that and send it to us, uh, you can uh, get some uh, information. Although. Quickly, uh, Libby, you had a, an app that might help with bird sounds. Yeah, we were talking about Merlin, and uh, it's a free download if you're interested in learning more about bird songs. Uh, Merlin, M-E-R-L-I-N, from the Cornell Bird Lab. All right. Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. If you want to hear today's show or previous show, you can find it at creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next. It's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.